Hello, and welcome to Talk Bluebeard to Me. I'm your host, Robin. And I'm Nathan. We are here to talk about all things Luthery and guitar-related content. Uh, we have a couple of cool things to go over today. Um, we're going to talk with Nathan about his process, um, determining what guitar needs, and if you can just see it by looking at it, and some other fun stuff. So let's get right into it. I'm ready, um, Robin, if you are. Yeah. Uh, how do you do it? What's your process? What's yeah, so I'm excited by this question. Uh, opportunity for a dad joke, very carefully, is how I do it. Seriously, though, there's a fun story for me that was really eye-opening about this. A couple years back, I uh, met some folks at an event, and somebody asked about, I think it was their dad's guitar, an electric solid body with one of those solid, opaque, automotive-type finishes, they said to me, I always wondered how they poured the bodies. And now that doesn't sound like a remarkable question at all, right? Mm. But what struck me in that moment was I've known since 2006 and probably even before then that most electric guitars are made out of wood and that that solid, non-transparent finish is applied over it. Mm -hmm. However, what this person had perceived, because it doesn't look like it's made out of wood, that it was poured into some mold of some kind, made out of some sort of plastic or hardened wax or some other kind of composite. So this was really exciting for me to say, yeah. whoa, actually, most of them are wooden bodies. So to answer your question, how do you do it? It depends on what it is. Yes. So if I look at my work and the instruments that I prefer to build. I start at a lumberyard, selecting boards, much like if I were building a table or a chest of drawers. Mm -hmm. And depending on the material I'm looking for, and depending on the build I'm getting into, I may buy them rough sawn, basically straight out of the sawmill, and process the lumber myself. Or I may buy them what's known as surfaced four sides, which is an industry term for they ran it through a planer, and now it's smooth and free of saw marks and defects. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So I'll start with raw wood, and I will glue it up to form a body blank for the solid body electric guitars that you've seen me build. And then from that, I will remove whatever wood is necessary to get the shape, the contours, the cavities for the pickups and the mm. controls, the neck pocket, and any other modifications I need to do to go from square chunk of wood to guitar body. And the same holds true for the neck. We start out with, I my preferred material is hard maple. Start out with a hard maple board and then use various woodworking tools to process it into a guitar neck. Now, that's just electric guitar building. Acoustic guitar building or archtop guitar building follows similar model, right? But with different thicknesses, sometimes you may have a mold to hold the shape. Some builders actually, in the classical guitar tradition, uh, start with the top of the guitar and then build it freeform on basically a board 
that is shaped like a guitar. Mm -hmm. And they attach the neck to the top and then add the back and sides to it. Arch top guitars, similar, but carved more like a violin. So if you can think of an acoustic guitar shape, uh, but instead of the top and back being really thin, right? Yes. Think it's more carved, like out of a thicker piece of wood and has more of a contour to it. Yeah. So that would be your arch top or those large, often played in jazz yeah. or big band settings. Yes, yeah. Um, that sort of instrument. So there's the woodworking mm-hmm. side of it on how you do it. The interesting part about Luthery is it's not just fine carpentry. Right. It's not just cabinet making. No. There's also <laughs> a bit of metal work in there. So in every neck I build... I have to install frets, mm-hmm. and those frets are made out of nickel silver, which is a compound that actually has no silver in it. A um, little bit of a misnomer there, but it's an alloy, usually with tin and copper in it, uh, and a bit of nickel. There are also hypoallergenic options, stainless steel, nickel-free choices that are available. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of one supplier that actually makes phosphor bronze, fret wire, Mm. which is exciting because it has that rose gold look that you like, uh, which is really classy, especially on a darker fretboard. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. it up. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So in installing frets, right, cutting the slots in the fretboard is still woodworking, but then cutting metal frets, installing them, filing them so they're all the same height, returning the shape of the fret to that half-round parabolic shape so that each note sounds like it should. Mm -hmm. And then also polishing them. That's a bit of metal work. Some instruments have brass nuts or brass saddles, and there's a bit of metal work in fabricating those parts. Also along with this, too, in the electronics, Mm -hmm. you and I were just discussing this before we got started, is the soldering. Yeah. And that using a soldering iron to connect capacitors, pots, jacks, the onboard electronics that I build, all of those things, yeah, that, that's a whole other skill set. Sure, yeah. And the list goes on. Uh, for example, binding is a decorative feature that also helps protect the edge of yeah. a guitar. Now, on an electric guitar, it's really there for appearance, right? And usually an electric guitar is more of a solid body, and then an acoustic, it's more ho- it's hollow. Yeah. So the binding is more of a, basically lining it. Exactly. But the, yeah, usually, yeah, it was, it was, but there is binding. You had uh, one, the uh, Epiphone that had the, did that have white binding that um yep yeah that, so, so that was a hollow body that was correct? a semi-hollow, semi-hollow. Body. so that's a whole other so construction approach yep. where the middle of the instrument yes is a solid piece of wood and that particular one was mahogany i've built them using maple before yes and then a hollow set of wings if you will mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are built around it yeah so we're moving kind of fast and throwing a lot of terms out of this morning, but <laughs> That's okay. I'm excited. Yeah, good. And <laughs> in a semi-hollow body, uh, particularly that instrument and ones like it, the 
top and back are made out of laminate, yeah. which is a pretty word for plywood. <laughs> yeah. um, but they're laminated veneers, usually maple, and they steam press them into this contour mm-hmm. shape. That's how you get that um, nice gentle arch that that guitar had. Yeah. And then, yeah, around the seam where the sides meet the top and the back, they bound that edge. And, yeah, I think it just had, a like, a white or a cream-colored yes, plastic I'm to it. Yes, I'm remembering, yeah. And the interesting thing about the binding is that you could have a solid-body guitar um, that they're, you know, they shows up all the time, where they will bind the top. Yes. And that's more of an aesthetic. Exactly. Of course. Sure. Yeah, that, that's nice. really just because it looks pretty. It is pretty. <laughs> with the... Um, with acoustics with arch tops, with semi-hollow body instruments, you've got the ingrain of the top or the back exposed with the way the top and the back meet the sides. And uh, for our listeners who maybe aren't aware of it, that wood will lose or gain most of its moisture through its ingrain. That's really the biggest, its most vulnerable spot. And gaining or losing moisture for a guitar is something we really don't mm-hmm. want because wood expands or contracts. It'll change dimension yeah. as it takes in or releases moisture. It's a trait we know as being hygroscopic. And putting binding along those edges is a way of mitigating that. So instead of having all of this mm-hmm. open ingrain around the edge of the top and okay. around the edge of the back, you traditionally it would have been wood. Yes. And then celluloid or other pre-plastics, Bakelite, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been other materials, bone, mother of pearl, things like that over yeah. the years. But really the idea is that having that layer around that edge, one, provides some aesthetic yeah. uh, beauty. It gives the maker an opportunity to really put their signature yeah. on the instrument. Yeah. Two, it improves structural integrity because now you've got something that's actually bridging that glue joint. Mm -hmm. So should you bump your guitar into a stage monitor or it slides off the bed or, you know, just gets banged around, the glue joint between the top and the back and the sides is now protected. Mm -hmm. And then it also acts as a vapor barrier to keep moisture out of the guitar. Wow. So that's all, you know, where you get the binding side of it. But back to your question about how you do it, that means I also have to be familiar with working with plastics yeah. or other composites, other other glues and adhesives. I can't just use the same wood glue right. to, and expect the plastic to stick in the way that you know I, I would otherwise. It sounds to me, as I'm visioning it, I think of it as a seal. You're basically sealing the guitar. That's a great. Is that appropriate? Way, that's a great way to describe it, and that's <laughs> yeah. actually a really good segue too, yeah. because one of the other big things is finish work, and you know how I feel about finish <laughs> um, work. Not a favorite, right? <laughs> it's, no, it's it's admittedly not my favorite. It's okay, but it's an important step <laughs> yeah. because it too provides some structural integrity. Sure, it protects. Yeah, and like you said, it acts as a seal. Yeah. So if you think about that first blue electric that I had built in school, mm-hmm. uh, the one that's been with us all along. I just want to interrupt. If yeah. you're interested in the Blue Electric, it is on our uh, profile picture. And if you have any questions about that guitar, please reach out. It is a, I'm going to do a 
little shout out to that guitar. Um, it's really the first electric guitar I started playing, and it's a beast, and I love it. And there's, it's an irreplaceable instrument. Well, I thank you. Yes, thank you're welcome, you. and thank um, you because I enjoy it. Yeah, no, it, I I appreciate <laughs> that. It's it's been bulletproof over the years. Yes. It's uh, ounce for ounce the most reliable instrument I've ever met. Yeah. And uh, it just sounds great. It too. really does. It's it's really one of those examples that a great guitar becomes more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Uh, to sidebar with that one, for example, I had I had been in Georgia, and uh, shopping around the lumberyard, like I said at the yeah. top of this episode, and I had come across uh, some ash. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of vintage electric guitars are made out of swamp ash. Swamp ash isn't technically a real species of ash it just refers to various location is it a exactly a geographical okay spot on nice it's ash that grows in swampy areas (laughs) and it tends to be a little lighter than what i used which was northern white ash and white ash is the same material that those infamous louisville sluggers oh yeah yeah and that's actually what the guy at the lumber yard had said to me, he goes, oh, this is baseball bat material. Yeah. It's going to be real heavy. Yeah. And I was 20 at the time. Heavy didn't bother me. And actually, it's not that particularly heavy of an instrument after having everything cut out and routed. Right. Nonetheless, I had traveled a thousand miles south and ended up buying material that had that basically been growing in my backyard. <laughs> Maybe you were feeling a little homesick. Who knows? I, maybe. You know? <laughs> maybe. But to, to all of this, the how do you do it, on the building side of things, it involves, you know, the old saying, uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Mm-hmm. Guitar building mm-hmm. on the whole process really becomes being a master of all trades yeah. and a yeah. jack of none. Okay. That... I- I respect that. I, uh, I think that's important. Thank you. One of the big things I heard about guitar making coming into it was that it's a lot like furniture making, yes. but you're not allowed to use nails or screws. But and there are screws. There are holding the hardware yeah. on, but if you look at an acoustic guitar body, <laughs> yeah, that's just glue joints. That's wood-on-wood joinery holding everything together. Classical guitars with what's known as a Spanish heel actually have the sides built into the heel of the neck. Okay. There's no hardware holding those instruments together. Now, you're right. There are screws in some instruments. Yeah. The blue one we're talking about has a bolt-on neck. Uh, One of my colleagues in Luthery School actually was starting to build a neck-through guitar, which would be the last assembly technique we can talk about this morning, which is where you start with a long piece of wood that ultimately becomes the neck of the instrument and the center of the body, Mm -hmm. and then you glue solid wings onto it. And this is a method Mm. that's been popular. Oh, I'm okay. In the 70s, 80s, I'd say it really was like a, a thing that folks got into. It's great because you never have to worry about breaking the neck joint because there isn't one. It's not so great because it also limits your ability to adjust the instrument over time. Would it make electronics challenging? 
It could. Yeah. It could because you have more routing to do to accommodate them. Okay. And that's actually a great segue. The other half of this is how do you do the repairs? Mm -hmm. And that really comes back to being comfortable with working with a variety of materials and tools. And I think, at least from my notes, this heads into what was one of your next questions. Oh, yes. Around. We do, we do have yeah, a or, few more. Yeah. Unless you want to just leave the whole episode at talking about the building and we can do it that way. I'll leave have it up more? to you. You have the questions. Uh, I ha well, I the next one is how do you determine what a guitar needs? And that was, you know, going more towards like repairs. So what I'm thinking is that, yeah, at least with building, yeah, when you are building and designing, how do you determine what that actual guitar needs? Is it because of how you want it to sound? Is it because of how you want it to look? See all of the above? <laughs> so, yeah, to your point about uh, building versus repair, there's yeah. a lot of design philosophy, yeah. preparation, yeah. that goes into it before the first cut is made. Yeah. So on the building side of things, even before you start designing things, I have a philosophy where I will be thinking about materials. What materials will I want to use? Yeah. And that will, in a way, dictate what I'm doing design-wise. Yeah. Now, there's a handful of companies out there that have made guitars um, with alternative materials, metal tops or wrapped in leather, yes. things, things of this I nature. Like yeah, yeah, they're, it, they're neat. They're interesting. They play great and they sound great. Um, I'm really about the aesthetics of the yeah, guitar. And, I can't help it. No, and, and the aesthetics are important, honestly, um, because what, what I have found happens, and I find this on the repair side as well, is that it's very easy to have the guitar become this extension of yourself. Yes. Because you use it so often and so deeply to express oh, yeah. yourself. Yeah. Uh, so it's very, very easy to start identifying with, I like this quality in an instrument, or that appearance speaks to me. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a style. Yeah. Similar to, you know, uh, <laughs> your favorite brand of sneakers. Sure. Or the breakfast you order when you go out to eat. Yeah. Um, the things, you know, your preferred car, um, yes. your preferred vacation. These all become things that, yeah, are part of you that speak to your likes, your dislikes, your outlook on the world. And then as, yeah, as you go on in life, taste changes too. So something you may have liked when you were younger, and then you have something in your hands that you thought in the past, I would have never touched that. So, yeah, you could find yourself as well as a builder probably down the line saying, geez, I never thought I would build one of those, but now I'm gonna. You and I were just talking about this the other day, and I was remembering that the very first guitar I had, the one that came out of a catalog, yeah. and maybe cost $100. It probably sounded great. And it, it did. I liked it. It came with that cheesy little practice amp, yeah. and one of those picks that's half the size of your that's hand. all you need. And a little chord book with no explanation <laughs> that... Um, I was a teenager when I had that guitar, sure. and I thought decorating it with all these stickers, various yeah. you know bands I liked yeah. or other things I thought were funny when I was 16. Would I want to build a guitar that looks like that now? No. Right. So yeah, yeah. tastes will change. 
preferences, and then not just visually, but also uh, sonically. Yeah. You know, yeah. I have, uh, I've been working with this one repair customer, um, Brian. Yes. Is his name. Yes. Uh, shout out, Brian. Hey, Brian. If you're listening. Yeah. And uh, he's been talking with me about how he had gone in this very uh, narrow direction with the tone on his guitar. Okay. He had gone with uh, flat wound strings and a wooden topped bridge so that it was this very warm, uh, thick, almost uh, dense tone that he had been after for a while. And then he had come to me because he was looking to bring that back a little bit. The music he's playing, the recording he's doing uh, had changed. So this sort of gets into the how do you do it on the repair side as well. Yeah. Years back, there was somebody I was working with. Uh, we connected through the Yale School of Music. Uh, do you remember Daniel? Yes, I do. That He had this really nice uh, classical guitar. I forget the uh, name of the maker. Um, but when it, was, Ooh, yeah, w- when it was built, it was intended for standard tuning. Oh. And it played great. What he was finding at the time was that the repertoire he was working on had him in drop D. So okay. for listeners who don't know, that's where you just take your lowest pitch or the thickest string and tune it down a whole step from E down to D. That's something I'm still wrapping my head around. It, it Ultimate I've tunings admit, will, will catch me sometimes, too. I admit I rely on my wonderful husband for all that stuff. It's one of my many Luthery <laughs> services. I will tune your guitar. <laughs> Uh, yours and yours alone. Thanks. And yeah, with, with that, um, with this particular customer, the shift from standard tuning to drop D was creating some fret buzz. Yeah. And some other playing issues. So how do you do it on the repair side really becomes a question more of conversation, of customer needs, of client expectations. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Daniel didn't need me to build him a whole new guitar. No. He needed some adjustments made to the one that he had. He had five strings that sounded fantastic and played wonderfully. What we ended up doing was modifying both the saddle and the shims underneath it, adjusting the nut, and then really dialing in his setup in a way that made sure he could play this new repertoire without interference from any other noise. Or fret buzz, or and even even if the guitar isn't buzzing, just the perception that it might can be enough to be a little unsettling for folks and kind of take you out of the experience. Yeah. Um, so on the repair side, yes. how do you how do you do it? It starts with a conversation. It starts with meeting folks where they're at. Yeah. I think we had touched on it last week, and if we hadn't, we definitely will, that there's a big customer service component to it. Absolutely. There's a big mm-hmm. people component to it. You may be a luthier. You may be a guitar maker. Yeah. But you are in the business of working with guitarists. Yeah. Those are your, those are your customers. Your those are your, those are your become, people. Yeah, yeah. And how do you do it on the building side comes to the same thing. That if I'm building a guitar just for me, because I like it, it's a passion build, as it were, mm-hmm. then yes, I can say, all right, I That's think your, this yeah. shape, I think these materials, I think these construction techniques. However, the instruments I'm building currently, the one that has been in process, yes. uh, mm-hmm. the one that the 
black finish on it is actually curing behind us. Coming down the road. Coming soon. Yes. More on that later. Uh, that one, while it is a, a design I feel strongly about, Yeah. I have also considered some things about it. And For without... Others, right? You know, yep, yeah. without giving too much away, uh, designed a fretboard with more access. Sure. So if we yeah. look at that blue one that you and I adore so it's much... It doesn't have as much. No, no, but it's kind of limited. this one down the line will give more room to get to those pretty high notes that I like. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have a few more minutes. Yeah, um, did you have another question? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think you had already said that you were excited, but like, but yeah, what what is the most exciting for you about it? Is it... Is it really, you know, how you're planning and designing, or is it the end result? It, it must be all, but does one really pull at you the most? I have to go with C, all of the above. Again. Again. <laughs> I know, uh, it's... it's uh... <clears throat> Excuse me. I The most exciting part for me when... Uh, it's a two-part question, so <laughs> let's start with the repair side of things, because okay. there have oh, been okay. a lot of... Well, I haven't talked about repairs much this episode, but... Let's, yeah, if I start with the repair side of things, the most exciting part about the repair is when a customer picks it up after I've completed whatever that repair is. Yeah. And they play uh, a handful of notes on it. And yeah. you can see the worry just evaporate from their face. Oh. That <laughs> I have seen everything from physical size and like shoulders dropping to folks almost getting misty to audible sighs of relief. That's beautiful. That it's really this wonderful experience. Uh, there was one, uh, you remember Rob? Uh, I sure do. Yep. Yes. He was one of those customers. Yes. Uh, came to me, I think it was really some setup and some light fret work that yeah. he had. Oh, yeah. But it was this really nice um, late model small bodied acoustic guitar he was playing a lot of finger style on it, and it was great when he bought it, but it had just sort of slipped over the years. Yeah. And bringing it back to that brand new showroom-like condition for him, yeah. that like, ooh, I, it's a new guitar, but it's also familiar because it's my guitar. Right. That those Aww. sort of things have been really, yeah, to have him pick it up, play it, and just, okay, that's Lovely. how it's supposed to feel, that's how it's supposed to sound. Aww. That those are the moments in the repair that's the most exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. And then while you and I have been talking about difficulty or, you know, would I take on a basket case repair, where's the line I draw? Yeah. That there have been some over the years yeah. that have been challenging. <laughs> we've seen, we've seen, yes, yeah. we've seen quite a bit around here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There have definitely been some that have been more challenging to complete than others. Sure. And yeah, there's a difference between the basic guitar maintenance setups, restrings, and next, fret dress, yeah. electronics yeah, cleaning, exactly. and, and yeah, a complete the, overhaul. You did just get finished doing a uh, pretty um, involved repair. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, on a on a vintage Gibson. Yeah. That yeah, that one was actually quite the. That was a neck reset. Uh, but there was also a crack in the heel block. Yeah. Uh, the block inside the acoustic body that holds the neck to the guitar. And that block had also shifted uh, from the back. So really a lot of things going on in the heart of the instrument. Yeah. And being able to take a guitar that wasn't playable, uh, a brief little bit of guitar anatomy there, acoustic guitars and some electrics, 
have back angle, right? Where the yeah. body and the neck aren't uh, in the same line, yeah. right? Coplanar would be the technical term. What actually happens instead is that the neck angles slightly back away from mm-hmm. the top of the guitar. And you can see this because I'm sitting across of from course. you. And I realize I'm motioning, but our our listeners can't see me motioning that. the. But if you can imagine a guitar neck and a guitar body in line with one another, and then if you just pull the neck down where the furthest point from the body, where the headstock is, so that it angles away. I'm raising my hand here. Yeah. Is it similar to how a lute looks? It is similar to how so a lute looks. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. Okay, so, so a lute similar kind has of. The, or is it the peg head that goes back? I can't remember. It is the peg head on a lute, but that's a great example yeah. of the sort of direction we're going. That's awesome. Yeah. And a neck reset is when an acoustic guitar loses that angle, that everything shifts, and now the action becomes very high. You end up with this. It doesn't intonate properly, so it plays out of tune regardless of how you adjust or mess with the tuning. And all of it, it just really becomes an unpleasant experience for playing. So the neck reset involves undoing that glue joint. Generally, it's a glue joint. Some acoustics are bolt-on, and it's as simple as taking a couple of bolts out and then adjusting and putting things back together. But in this particular Gibson, yeah, it meant undoing a glue joint, reshaping the heel and the heel block, and then putting them back together so that way the strings were playable. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, having that sort of moment where that sense of satisfaction and relief. I've seen a lot of relief. Folks coming to me with an instrument that's like, God, you know, I don't know if it's going to play right. I didn't know this was on. (laughs) And so that means I'll wrap it up. We will wrap it up. Yes. Unfortunately. No, that's all right. That's all right. On well, the... you have work to do. I You've do. Got... Yeah. I, I do. No, I, yeah. Uh, the guitar won't build itself. No. On, on the building side of things, uh, my, my last point, I think, at least for this week, the most exciting moment for me in building, uh, and this is to say that there are a lot of little exciting moments when... It sounds like all of it is. It really, all of it is, uh, you have these little glimpses here and there where you'll be working, right? Yeah. So th- this one that we're talking about that's in process now started out as a few separate boards. And for a long time, it just kind of looked like a collection of yeah. boards and yeah. pieces of wood. And then even after some shaping and some processing, it's still not so much. But then you come to the bench one morning, one day, and the body is shaped. Yep. The cavities are cut. All the holes are drilled. It's all roughed in and ready for sanding. And you pick it up and you say, oh, this is a guitar body. And it, of course it is because that's what I've been building. Yes. But just those little moments of realize, oh, this is coming together. That's awesome. Shaping the neck, getting the frets in and saying, oh, this is a guitar neck. Those little moments are exciting. But the real... The real moment that is, like, it, it's undescribable, really, for me, is once the instrument's done, all the finishes rubbed out, the electronics are wired, yes. the frets are dressed, the pickups are in, hardware's in, tuning machines, everything else, and that it's strung up. 
Mm. And that first sound yeah. of getting to hear the voice of an instrument for the first time, and this holds also for acoustics, the other one that's in our uh, profile picture is that yes. butternut, butternut one yeah. yep. that, I love it. that you love. <laughs> that one so of the fun. most exciting moments of building that guitar, aside from the fact that that board was actually slated to be discarded yeah. uh, before I had purchased it, yeah. and aside from processing it down to the book match top and back sides and bending everything and getting it built, the really exciting, the most exciting part of that was getting it strung up for the first time. Yep. And those first few chords, those first few notes of saying, oh, I've met somebody new. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what it feels. It's like you've just made a new best friend. I was thinking about the... uh interaction between the luthier and the client, the player, that, yeah, you're, you are totally creating a bond. And yeah, I think that's a good way to uh, put a spin, put a little end on this today, is that, yeah, luthery players, there's a bond. There and, is a bond. As there should be. And that all players... Uh, should be treated with respect and their instruments should be I think of it when you get your repairs coming in yep going on to the repair part that it's like Christmas when you get these cases and you're opening up a case and it, it's like it, what is it going to look like what is it going to sound like so it is yeah. you know it, it that's actually a beautiful analogy yeah um, is that it is a little bit like you know the repairs are a little bit like Christmas for me I have some coming in later this week yeah I know the makes and models um, this one customer said he's dropping four four of them off Woo, busy and yeah it's exciting <laughs> and I know the makes and models yeah I don't yet know what it looks like yeah. I don't know what it sounds like I don't I have a well, rough idea of what they need from what the, this customer has asked of me. Yeah. However, I don't know what exactly is going on with these instruments. So there is, it's a little bit like, like I said, like making a new friend. Yeah. It's a little bit like Christmas. Yeah. And it's also a little bit, to carry that analogy one step further, I get to play Santa Claus a little bit <laughs> without the beard and the belly and the suit. Shout out to Nicholas. Yes, shout out St. Nick. Um <laughs> That, yeah, I get to play Santa a little bit in that I deliver an instrument. And while the customers know they're getting their their guitar back, yeah, like this is what they know, they don't yet know what it looks like, how it feels, how it plays. That happened with those bass repairs that were in recently. Yeah. That I returned those. And, yeah, just this childlike joy nice. on that customer's face to pick up this bass and just start playing it again cool so yeah it's it's exciting in that sense it is and it's so exciting that we are uh, we're pushing it today so I, you know i'm seeing we're right about yeah. where we are i yeah. think the last thing i'd like to oh, yeah, just follow on what you're saying about it um and just a bit of a plug too yeah. is that you're absolutely right about the bond yeah. between customers clients players I, guitarists I'm, I'm for it and the luthier, in that you'll see it uh, if anybody visits the website personalluthier.com. Yes. Is that our motto is for the love of your guitar. Yep. And beyond that, in building, and the philosophy there yeah. is that every player deserves a great guitar. Yep. 
and that those sort of things really uh, are guiding principles for me, mm-hmm. is that if I'm taking on a repair or a commissioned build, it is really for the love of the instrument. Nice. Yeah. Wonderful. I, I say we leave it there. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. We do appreciate and love our listeners. And uh, tune in. We'll be back very soon. Um, for the love of your guitar, keep on luthing and keep on playing. Yes. Yes. Keep on luthing, keep on playing. Again, our theme music is composed by Ben Lane, proposed by... Composed. Performed performed by (laughs) Ben Lane and J.D. Adams. Thank you both. Yeah. Uh, Any questions for the podcast, you can uh, find more information at personalluthier.com. Please send us your questions. We'd love to answer them. Additional information uh, worth reading at richardsoneffects.com. You can find us on Instagram at personalluthier. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye, everybody.